Hi and welcome to the All Plane Podcast. Here talking with the movers and shakers redefining the future of commercial aviation. And as usual, before I introduce today's guest, let me remind you of all the previous episodes of this podcast that you can find on our website. That's allplane.tv, A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E.tv. And there you will find also many other interesting aviation stories. Today we're going back to school, a very unique school actually. Our guest is Keith Mason, who heads the Center for Air Transport Management at Cranfield University in the UK. Cranfield University is an academic center of reference for everything that has to do with aviation, both from a technological and from a business perspective. Keith and his team at Cranfield monitor the pulse of the global aviation industry while forming at the same time the new generations of professionals that are going to work in it. Cranfield University is also quite unique in that it offers only graduate programs. So people join from quite a few different backgrounds, all of them in search of a career in aviation. And the school has even its own airfield to test some of the technologies that are being researched there. So how cool is that? It has also a business arm that gets involved in commercial projects that derive from all this research and, and technological development that is taking place at the university. So there's quite a lot going on there. And I think it's best if we hear it all directly from Keith. So let me welcome him to the podcast. Hi, Keith. How are you? Uh, hi, Miguel. Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. Nice to see you. Yeah, likewise. Last time we met, we were at this very interesting aviation conference in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. It was a very interesting event, uh, sort of 2,000 people uh, really looking forward to the, uh, the future of aviation. And uh, it was just a, a, a very large and very incredible um, conference, uh, some really good speakers and some, some good insights. So uh, yeah, it was an enjoyable experience. Yeah, an amazing venue. Also, uh, a part of the world that is of much interest for anyone in aviation right now, because there's so much going on in that in that part of the world. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's very interesting that the KSA has really sort of stepped forward and, and really tried to um, sort of move the um, aviation agenda forward, which is I think is is a a good effort to, to try and move beyond COVID and, and move towards sort of uh, growth and development and, and sustainable development. And I think there was a recognition in the room and in the speakers that uh, the industry really needs to uh, come together to try and focus towards what is a fully sustainable industry. So I thought it was really good. And there was some if not blueprints, but at least um, sort of focuses towards where the industry may go. So I thought that was good. I'm going to post a link to uh, a little roundout piece that I wrote after, after the conference. But actually, uh, today I wanted to speak with you about some other topics because you are the head of the Center for Air Transport Management at Cranfield mm -hmm. University. And for those in the audience that are not familiar with Cranfield, I must say it's perhaps the number one university in the world, at least in Europe and in the UK, for anything related to aviation. In fact, you are the aviation university. Uh, well, we can thank, say. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for 
for, for noticing. Uh, Cranfield is a fantastic place and its, its relationship to the aviation industry has been there right from the outset. And for those people who, who don't know Cranfield, it's a postgraduate university. So it's very small, about 4,000 students. And we only uh, have students in master's degrees and in doctoral degrees. The university started after the Second World War. During the Second World War, uh, Cranfield was a an RAF base. So we have an uh, we have always had a runway. And during the Second World War, Cranfield became the focus for uh, avionics. And after the Second World War, it became a College of Aeronautics. And after that, uh, an Institute for Technology and finally a university. So right from the get-go, uh, Cranfield has always been about air transport and aviation. To set a bit the context, you are located about 50 miles north of London, more or less. Uh, yeah, we, we, we like to say London is located 50 miles south of Cranfield. Okay. But okay. <laughs> uh, it amounts yeah. to the same thing. Um, we're, we're, we're on the arc from uh, Cambridge to Oxford, and we're, we're located um, just, just near Milton Keynes, which is a, a, a growing new town just north of London. And, and near Bedford as well. Yeah, uh, yeah so that's right. that would be the closest city, I guess, to to where you are. Uh, yeah, I think it's a town, but yeah, yeah. Um, Milton okay. Keynes is closest, and and then Bedford. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so basically, you and and then there is this very, as you mentioned, this very unique feature is that you have your own airport. So how cool is that? I mean, a university that <laughs> manages its own airport, which is very appropriate considering that the sort of topics you specialize in. Yeah, what can you tell us about this? I mean, do you use the runway for, for actually for experimental and test flights and, and this sort of stuff? So the, the um, airfield has always been operated independently and it's, it's a fully licensed aer aerodrome. But over the last number of years, the university has really tried to integrate the facility within the research activities of the university. So yes, we have various sort of commercial movements at, at the uh, airfield, and we have a lot of activity uh, because we're fairly close to the Formula One bases. So a, a lot of the private jets come in uh, to, to us sort of related to the Formula One activities. And then uh, we do various research activities on the airfield. And uh, one of the things that has just recently been opened is uh, our uh, DARTEC building, which is a digital aviation research and technology center, uh, which is right on the, the cusp between land side and air side. And we use that building and another uh, building, the uh, Aerospace Integration Research Center, as part of the research activities in the airport. Uh, sorry, in, in the university, and the airfield becomes part of the research facilities uh, of, of these buildings and, and of these centers. Um, and I can tell you some more about these, these facilities yeah. if you like. Yeah, that's something that I had here in my notes to, to ask you about, because I got this impression that in the UK now there's a very conscious effort by the institutions, by government, etc., to be a leader in, in, let's say, in aviation innovation uh, with sustainability as a, as a core 
theme there. And Cranfield University seems to be really at the center of, of many of these projects and programs, uh, some of them supported by, by public money. Uh, there's some private private funding as well. Um, yeah, you are you're very, very much in the center of all of this. I, I know Cranfield has also a private, more commercially oriented arm, which I think it's a, it's a kind of a spin-off from the university. Cranfield Aerospace Solutions, I think that it's it's a bit separate from the academic activity, but but it's also part of all some of these projects. Yes, yeah, so, so you're you're absolutely right. Cranfield has always been incredibly close to industry. Right at the core, the the work that we do is always about trying to provide real solutions to problems in the real world. So, if we're not close to industry, we we can't do that, and so. Both those research centers, the AIRC, the Aerospace Integration Research Center, and the DATEC, Digital Aviation Research uh, and Technology Center, were both funded partly by the university, partly by government, and match funded by industry. So we have partners across those centers, including lots of uh, OEMs, including Boeing and Airbus, and including um, Talis and Valence and Inmarsat, all of the big OEM technologies uh, providers that are looking to move towards a more sustainable um, future and more a more efficient operational activity for the industry, and um, it incorporates uh, lots of activities across the university. Particularly, I'm in the School of Aerospace uh, Transport Systems and Manufacturing, Um, so we these different themes sort of come together in these centers to try and um, combine the best of the different uh, research activities of uh, the various faculties and also the focus of the uh, industrial partners to provide solutions. I'll give you a couple of examples. Mm-hmm. In Dartec, we have Avalent being involved in advanced um, uh, radar systems, uh, holographic radar systems that can uh, track every activity uh, around, a f- I think, I have to be careful, I think it's five miles, maybe 10 miles uh, around the um, aerodrome. And so um, part of what we're trying to do in DATEC is to work out how to integrate uh, unmanned um, aircraft into the airspace system. So you've, uh, you may remember that Gatwick Airport was closed down for a number of days because uh, incursions by drones. Well, now this research activity uh, using holographic radar is there to try and identify and track the movement of drones in in an airspace. So that's incredible work. Um, It can identify, obviously, birds as well. Anything that is sort of going to cause any problems about the safe operational activity of an airfield. We have <clears throat> the first beyond visual line of sight corridor from Cranfield to Cambridge for unmanned aircraft. So um, a drone corridor, if you like, that can be used to uh, do uh, tests about how uh, these aircraft can be integrated into the airspace. It's, it's like a, an air corridor that has been cleared of yeah, yeah, for, it's, yeah, it's, specific for, for, for this activity. So to test. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. To, to be able to test that, and it's obviously approved by the uh, by the CAA, the um, the Civil Aviation uh, Authority. The Civil yeah. Authority, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, we also have activity around the 
conscious air, what we're calling the conscious aircraft. So this is building on uh, our integrated vehicle health management center, which has been for many years, uh, mainly on surface transport systems, to be able to work out when parts need to be replaced on, on a vehicle. So okay. that what tends to happen with planned maintenance is that you tend to replace parts before they actually need to be replaced so that you don't get a failure. What the conscious aircraft is all about is trying to make sure that the aircraft tells you when a particular part needs to be replaced. So you get the most out of the, the parts and you, you can plan uh, the uh, activity in a more efficient way. So you're getting better costs out of the, um, the various parts of the aircraft and being able to program that into the operational activity uh, of, of an airline. Lots of uh, cutting-edge stuff uh, you, you are working on. But all of this is in parallel to the, let's say, the, the regular academic activity, because you obviously you run all these postgraduate programs there, these graduate mm -hmm. programs. As a center for air transport management, well, you have obviously all this technical side of things. You also look at the, let's say, the, the business side and the operational side of, uh, of the air transport business. Tell us a bit more as well about all this academic side. What sort of programs you guys have over there mm -hmm. at Granfield? And what sort of, let's say, career paths you can also offer to people that are perhaps looking for a career in an airline or an airport or more generally in the, in the commercial aviation industry? Okay, well, so what I've just described to you um, represents the, the broad activity of the university particularly on the technical side. My centre, uh, the Centre for Air Transport Management, is a dozen faculty which has a sort of focus on uh, being able to take technology and make it uh, commercially valuable. So our focus invariably is how do airlines and airports make and lose money and how can we emphasise the commercial activities for both of these key focus and to be able to do that in a for, for the long term so it's about trying to understand what parts of airlines make and lose money and why and understand what parts of uh, an airport system how that works together for operational efficiency and for commercial value mm -hmm. so um we, we tend to be a group of people who are slightly on the periphery of some of the activity of the university, beyond the um, more technical aspects of the university. And we, we are economists, we're marketers, we're an architect, uh, we have people who are geographers. Uh, so we, we, we are a sort of a, a group of people who try to understand how airlines and airports work and how we can try and make those better, both for the airlines and the airports, but also, of course, for the customers of these airports and, and, and airlines. So the cargo operators, uh, sorry, the cargo uh, forwarders, and particularly the airline passengers. Can you give me a few examples of the, the sort of graduate programs that, that you run at your center? How does one of these programs look like in terms of duration, the, the sort of academic credentials that, that you get or titles, and then what what sort of um, professional career paths people choose to go on after, after completing one of those degrees? Sure. So um, we have three MSc programs. 
We have the MSC Air Transport Management. We have the MSC Airport Planning and Management. And we have the Executive MSC in Air Transport Management. The Executive MSC in Air Transport Management is a part-time program, which is really aimed at people who are currently uh, working in industry and looking to move to the next level in their career. And the two full-time MSCs are aimed at people who are looking to um, move into their either their first role in the aviation industry or maybe to, to move from a more sort of operational role into a more managerial role. So the full-time uh, courses are both one year only. So they start in October and run through until uh, mid-August. And the part-time program, the Execa MSC, uh, runs over two or three years, depending on how long you, you take to do your uh, thesis. And um, that um, is designed so that people can maintain their, their current careers while they're, they're studying. I interrupt you here one second. Do these people that are already in the industry in some capacity, do they come to, to do the courses in person at Cranfield or you run them on a, some sort of remote capacity? I guess the exams, they, they, they do them and they're presentially, but how do you organize all these, let's say, uh, presential versus remote activities, particularly now in, in the last two, three years? So, so you're absolutely right. The last three years has been uh, a challenge, but also an opportunity. We're, we're currently just completing a redesign of our MSC, um, executive MSC. Mm -hmm. uh, and we are trying to develop it so that it can be done uh, on a fully face-to-face -face basis, on a hybrid mix of some face-to-face -face and some online experience or to offer the sufficient flexibility that you could do it completely online. We, part of um, the experience of Cranfield is coming to Cranfield and being with other students and being with the faculty and being able to talk to each other face-to-face. -face. And I think that's something that we really don't ever want to lose. But we realized that for some people, A, being over the last couple of years, being able to get out of their country and to be able to get into the UK hasn't been possible. So we've had to pivot towards a more online experience. And we're trying to take the best of what we've learned over being able to deliver courses online to be able to keep some of that as we move forward. So the new design of the course has uh, in the first year three one-week residential courses, which if you can be residential, that's fantastic. If you can't, we can support uh, a hybrid uh, activity. So we've had experiences with teaching stu some students in the classroom, but some also who are sitting participating on an online basis. And that's been a sort of quite a, a step up for some of the faculty, particularly the old ones like me, who have to try and work out how cameras work and how we can have projections of the, the lecture slides, both uh, into the classroom and also online and be able to integrate people asking questions from online and being part of the class. Because having that, having people when they're not present in the room still being part of the class is, is really an, an important thing. So this redesign, we've got these three one-week residentials. And then in the second year, we have a mix of some elective uh, modules, which you can again do them online, but you can also come to Cranfield and, and be participative uh, there. Uh, and we're, we've designed a new group project where 
students who are going to work together over a number of months on a project in their own space and then bring that back to, to Cranfield uh, for their sort of their their final activity before they move on to the individual research program uh, project which they they have to do to complete their uh, degree yeah actually uh, that's something I wanted to ask you about is how is the evaluation so from what you told me there's like a final project it's like a dissertation thesis mm -hmm. or something like that or are there also exams that people need to pass to get so both like project and exams or how does it work <laughs> well I, I'm, I'm trying to paint a wonderful picture but of course there are, are assessments uh -huh. um we we as a university and and i think many uk-based universities have now moved increasingly to embrace the idea that you do not have to have particularly for higher level degrees uh in sort of an in-class test you don't you don't have to sit in this sort of um, one meter square for three hours and try and remember everything mm -hmm. because that's not really how the world works. If you mm -hmm. have a problem in the real world, you are not isolated and not trying to remember something from uh, a book that you read 10 months ago. So we are increasingly having a mix of individual assessments, which can be done separately, you know, in their own time. I think on the full-time course, we have at least one exam, but I, I can't, I don't think there's more than one exam. And then we have uh, group activities, group projects where people are, are working together. So we have a bit of a range of different assessments. Mm -hmm. Of course, the individual research project is, is individual. But what sort of project, uh, like, for example, can you give me an example of what could be uh, the topic of a, a usual student, uh, yeah, okay, student uh, project? Uh, currently, I'm working with a student who's looking looking at uh, how important uh, the, the nationality of an airline might be for customers. So we, we recognize for, uh, for Spanish flyers, they like to fly with Iberia because it reminds them of being at home and it's, it has a Spanish feel. But for somebody in the UK, maybe they're not going to fly with Iberia because it's Spanish and they want a more British experience. So we have these legacy airlines that have national Uh, feel to them. And then there are other airlines that have developed that seem to be independent of that. And so how important is that nationality thing? As hmm. one, last year we had somebody looking at uh, security experiences as you travel through an airport and can bio uh, recognition be used and how might that play into the passenger experience as they, they travel through uh, an mm -hmm. airport. Uh, we look at different airline business models. We've had in the last couple of years, a lot of focus on um, uh, long haul, low cost, because there's been a lot of activity in that, and particularly the uh, introduction and the development of new uh, narrow body long haul aircraft mm -hmm. and, and what opportunities that provide and trying to understand why they fail because you know you've you've got airlines like Norwegian that have just sort of um, partly shot themselves in the foot and partly just you know the, the model doesn't seem to work particularly well but yet we've got AirAsia X coming back to, to London this summer so just trying to understand different parts of a problem so for every student we are looking for a hypothesis uh, a statement that you know if you can't tell me what your problem is with a statement that starts I believe that then you can get to the, the point which is 
I can test something. I can try and find a solution to a particular problem, even if the answer is what I believe isn't true. <laughs> yeah, but hopefully, yeah. if you do your work well, you're designing, you have a problem, it's based on the literature that has gone before. Uh, you come up with a research objective, you come up with a methodological approach to dealing with the problem, and it can be a whole bunch of different stuff. It could be uh, very data-driven, it could be survey-based, it could be uh, taking information about the times where aircraft land. I, I remember a project a couple of years ago where uh, a student took all of the landings for a particular airport over a, a year, I think, and looked at all of the delays to try and identify problems around turnaround, padding and stuff like that. And then obviously you, you do your original work and you, you try and find a solution. So mm -hmm. every project is different. Every probably Every project is interesting and we as uh, supervisors are there to try and direct and channel the student towards something that is not too big a problem and is not too small a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and then they can uh, get to the, the point where they, they, they write their thesis up. I think of an MSc uh, research project as basically a mini PhD. And of course, we have PhD students at, at Cranfield and, and they're doing much bigger projects, but our uh, challenge is to take in fairly limited period of time to get students to do something useful uh, for their MSc theses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that brings me back memories of my student years because I, I, did, I did MSc in economic history at, at the London School of Economics, LSE, and my thesis was actually about the introduction of the Boeing 707 in the... Wow, oh, like, you're, you're older like, than you look. <laughs> yeah, I had to I had to dig into uh, lots of history um, books. old record, yeah, like parliamentary records and stuff like that to find out what like the the figures, like the number of passengers and the the revenue they were bringing in. So looking at at what the the change was in in the North Atlantic route uh, when ah, right when these so very did, did, yeah you, when, you may have been looking at the old JP fleets and the OAG um, sort of the, the big OAG books. Well, I was looking like um, a lot of official documents because I think at the time BOAC, uh, the, yeah, that's the, it. Was the, the the flag carrier in 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 the UK? They they published them as part of I think the government records because it was a, a government it was basically like an office of the government <laughs> and uh, yeah there was lots of information in in all records so it was interesting it was an interesting project i that yeah. i did for for msc that that brought me back memories from, from, I, from I, hopefully <laughs> not hopefully it didn't bring back too many sweaty uh, thoughts about how horrible uh doing research is we, we like yeah. to think it's exciting but it, it can be Quite a challenge, and particularly if you you end up having to sort of go down uh, searching records and for information that isn't particularly easy to find. And again, that's sort of um, where the, the faculty can come and help because they mm -hmm. tend to have uh, more experience about where they can find information. And of course, yeah. we've got a massive network of of former students, uh, alumni around the world who are often really helpful uh, to our current students, particularly uh, if they. They've worked in an area which the student is working, um, mm -hmm. trying to do their thesis on. They tend to be able to, to be quite positive and, and help them out. So, so it's a, it's a good experience, and and that's something I think that Cranfield does really well. We we keep very close to our our former students, and uh, it just provides a sort of a a way that students can move into industry and then move on. Uh, mm -hmm. through their careers and and help out current students. So yeah. it it works very nicely. Yeah, indeed. I have come across many Cranfield 
alumni, uh, when talking with people in the industry. And also some of them actually have been providing comment for, for some of the articles when I needed some expert comment about some, some current topics in the industry. So yeah, a good thing, I guess, that helps you guys is that this is an industry where everything is, is documented. So there's all these huge databases where <laughs> you have all the like flights and airlines and airframes. Every, everything has a a track record, everything is leaving some trace, whatever it happens. So you need to make sense of all this information and then, I guess, find a new way. What sort of, of major topics or themes are in demand now? I mean, when you see all these people looking for topics for their, for their dissertations or, or looking for professional advice or, or topics for a PhD, for example, have you detected some let's say, macro trends, topics uh, people are kind of uh, leaning towards this at this point in time? Yeah, so I, I think it's absolutely a function of, of where we find ourselves in the industry at the moment, but also the, the changing demographics and the, the younger people coming through. It's not surprising that sustainability is increasingly a real focus for, for our students. And, and let's be absolutely clear, the people who come on our courses tend to be aviation geeks. And, um, and I, I say that with, um, uh, with love and affection. These people have aviation absolutely in their blood and, and they want to go and work in the industry and they want to have an industry to, to work in. And you know, the biggest single challenge that the industry faces now and over the next 50 and 100 years uh, is sustainability. And the industry has been sort of doubling in size every 15 years for the last 40, 50 years. And there's a question as to whether we'll ever become a uh, mature industry uh, whether we will ever get to low or, or, or um, zero growth, and I, I'm not sure that we will. People want to travel. They like to travel. They like to, to see new places and that they want to meet with family and friends wherever they are in the world. And, and what we have seen over the last 25 years is the growth of low-cost carriers and the democratization of, of aviation. It used to be the preserve of the rich and now it's the preserve of everybody. And you have very large markets in places like India and China where people have traditionally not traveled very much because of economic situation. And that is changing. People are becoming increasingly middle class all over the world. And we're seeing uh, an incredible increase in demand for aviation in these places where in the past aviation hasn't there has been large industries but not to the sort of level that we find in in north america and, and in europe and the the demand for a sustainable industry butts up against this demand for growth and um we don't know quite how to square the, the circle, but increasingly the young people who come through our courses are aviation enthusiasts to the core, but also they want a future for themselves and they want a future for their kids. And so we've got to try and work out how to, to square that circle. And so there's lots of research about how to try and make uh, air transport as efficient as possible. And, you know, in Europe, we still haven't 
done the most ridiculously easy thing, which is to have a single airspace, which means that we can increase the throughput of uh, aircraft and we can uh, reduce all of the circling that nobody likes and reduce the unnecessary burning of of fossil fuels uh, because we have an inefficient system. And how do we solve that? Well, it's a political problem. It's not a technical problem. It's never been a technical problem. So sustainability is is a really big challenge and you, you've got sort of people trying to look into sustainable aviation fuels, synthetic aviation fuels. You have activities around for short haul travel, uh, the move towards either electric or hydrogen um, aircraft. And you mentioned earlier uh, Cranfield Aerospace Solutions. They're one of our partner partner no they're not a partner they're part of the cranfield mm-hmm. um the cranfield family family yeah <laughs> uh, and and they are a technical solutions company that focuses on how to actually develop uh, and produce um, systems that, that work with electronic uh, electric aircraft and hydrogen aircraft so they've had their first um fully electric aircraft movements um in Last year, the year before, I think it was. Um, and so moving towards sort of more electric and sustainable aircraft solutions. And of course, we, we, we've seen more of our students moving into companies like Joby and other sort of air taxi type companies yeah. and on-demand aircraft, because there seems to be sort of a split between that long air, uh, long haul aircraft activity where the solution is only ever going to be synthetic air, uh, aviation fuels. And so there needs to be a real push along that side. But then in the short haul air, um, market, we're increasingly moving towards sort of last mile or last 10 mile type flights. And, yeah. you know, I can see a future where we have on demand maybe unmanned aircraft being able to bring people to their final destinations, which would be uh, a crazy sort of Jetson type future <laughs> that uh, we all thought we would be in today anyway. So that so sustainability is a massive, massive uh, subject and it's going to keep uh, our students busy for the next 50 years. The next big thing I think is digitalization, being able to uh, take all of You mentioned all of the uh, sort of data that is available in this industry and we have tended to silo it. You know, the, you cannot access all of the data in one, one go. And mm-hmm. when we look at other industries, being able to integrate large data sources and using um, sort of artificial intelligence to come up with better solutions, the air transport industry is absolutely sort of replete with a, a opportunity around this thing. And um, so, for example, one of my PhD students is looking at the digitalization of the commercial activities in, a, in an airport. So it's sort of um, how do we take what we currently have and, and move to a more efficient, more uh, to a better system for customers and a better solution for the airports and their, their partner companies. Uh, so those are sort of two big challenges i think uh, i think uh, digitalization will affect operations absolutely i think digitalization will f- affect the commercial activities of airlines and airports absolutely and i think as customers we want better solutions i was shopping for a flight yesterday and it's still a dreadful experience and it's it's just not as good as it could be compared to shopping for just about anything else that you may shop online. Um, yeah. we, we haven't got to the point where buying an airline ticket 
and using an airline ticket is as good a customer experience as pretty much any other industry. And it should be, you know, we, we could make it better, but we we have to move beyond those legacy systems that we have and the uh, siloed solutions that we, we currently have. So mm-hmm. those are the two big challenges. And I, I guess sort of new aircraft systems and, and the, the airline business models that, that use them. So I think we're, we've moved over the last 25 years to a separation from full service carriers only to a mix of full service carriers and low cost carriers in, in short haul regional services. And I think we've, we're due for another evolution over the next couple of years as we uh, embrace new aircraft technology and we look at different ways how airlines can organize themselves together. So for example, JetBlue flying into the UK and having low-cost carrier partners. Uh, You know, we're we're reinventing that sort of network model in a different way. Yes, indeed. Yeah, uh, that's definitely something it's pretty much on trend and you get all this more diverse landscape also in terms of business models because you also see even linkages with uh, some segments of industry like um, executive jets for example and low-cost airlines and and full service carriers and everything is more intertwined and and now you've got even now uh, new technical solutions uh, things like all these um, ground effect vehicles now in the US some some airlines investing in this kind of mix between boat and, and airplane and, and, and ships and airships as well. Uh, we've got this, this week some, some news in uh, like the, the comeback of the airship, uh, which is going to be quite amazing thing to see. Uh, and EVTOLs and, and all sorts of different flying and moving things that are more integrated through technology. So yeah, definitely uh, lots of things going on. And I'm, I'm sure you guys are going to be like in the, in the first row to propose technical solutions and to analyze what's what's happening for people that wish to uh, enroll in one of your graduate programs what would be the things to do what are the requirements and what is the process like okay so um if i focus on the full-time mscs that we have we are looking first and foremost for people who have a demonstrable interest in the aviation industry because you could come and study with us across a different, uh, a whole bunch of different roles. But the people who don't have aviation in their soul are never going to embrace it in the way that we think that our students should and would and will. So that, you know, being able to do that, so the personal statement is always very important. In terms of uh, academic first degrees, we, we have a lot of students who are coming with technical degrees. So aero engineering, uh, civil engineering, and those sort of courses. We, we have quite a lot of students coming from some of the aviation universities that tend, to, tend principally to focus on the technical side. So ENAC in, in France and um, uh, some of the, 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 I can't think of in Spain, well, the C- uh, ISICA. And seeker, maybe. Uh, well, I don't know. There's, there's different faculties that have these engineer aerospace engineering type type degrees, yeah. Uh, yeah. and then people coming from business business degrees, management, and looking to um, apply those into the industry. So they want to go on into sort of managerial roles in the airline industry. And so, as I said earlier, sort of economics and and, uh, geography and other sort of more social sciences type backgrounds, psychology, for example. And so 
our student body, A, is incredibly international. We have people from all over the world. We have students who have different academic backgrounds and who, when they are put together, have to learn each other's skills and what each are better. And, and our group project is a, a great example where, you know, um, some people work uh, on the more technical or operational type activities and some on the, the more social sciences type uh, mm -hmm. activities. So that sort of background, the application process runs all year. So we tend to close applications sort of July time, I think. But we take applications all the way through the year. And if you're too late for this year, we will we'll move your application forward to next year. It's an all online system. So if people want to talk to us, um, you can find our contact details off of the Crownfield website and, and contact us if they want to uh, get some, some more information and, and talk to somebody about, you know, what the degree uh, entails and, and you know what sort of roles that they might go on to and, and I think one of the things that you wanted to talk about is what sort of career paths to, to people have and maybe we can move on to that in a second. Cranfield.ac.uk Yes, thank you very much indeed. Cranfield.ac.uk <laughs> and then search for air transport management and you'll, you'll find us. Mm -hmm. um, yes. so, uh, so yeah, so then in, in terms of our graduates, they, they tend to uh, move into sort of one of sort of five different roles, I think. Um, they may go into the commercial parts of airlines and airports. So a, a sort of a standard or a fairly common uh, role that people move into in the airline industry tends to be revenue management. It's a great first role in the industry. It helps you to understand uh, markets and sort of the demand elasticity and price elasticity uh, of customers very well. Uh, and so and essential for, for airlines as well. Absolutely. It's the absolute core of, of what yeah. uh, airlines do in terms of the commercial side. And then after two, three years, people tend to move on. So commercial is one and then uh, operational. So uh, working for an airport to try and um, uh, improve the, the throughput of the, the systems, the throughput of the passengers, improve the, the ramp efficiency, the gate allocation, all of those sort of more operational activities uh, in airports and in, uh, for airlines in, in the uh, sort of operational aspects of, of uh, the operations of, a, of an airline. Uh, we have people go on to consultancies. So there is three or four very large airport consultancies and a number of airline consultancies, which are either, some of them are very big and some of them are quite small and, and boutique. What all of these jobs are looking for are people that really understand the airline industry. And I, I think, um, you know, if you have a MBA degree and try and go and work in a, a, an airline or an airport, you don't understand the in intricacies and the complexities of the airline mm -hmm. industry. And this is particularly true for, for consultancies. Being able to understand these activities really helps those specialist consultancies, not the McKinsey's of this world, but the more boutique type consultancies to, to really get to the, the, the heart of any issue in an airport, in an airline, because they understand the complexities of uh, some of our graduates go on to work for, for regulators, civil aviation authorities, and uh, quite a few go on to work for OEMs. And I mentioned Joby, for example, earlier. We have a lot of people go to, to Boeing and Airbus and particularly into technical sales and marketing for those sort of organizations. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, 
quite a, a broad spectrum of career paths open for people that complete one of your programs that I'm sure are going to be of interest to to the people listening to this podcast because I well I'm I'm assuming they are interested in aviation <laughs> just as we are. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Keith, for all this overview of, of the amazing job you, um, you guys do there at Cranfield. In... Thank you very much for the opportunity to come and talk to you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'll uh, definitely put links uh, on the show notes so that people can dig deeper into each of these different things we discuss, DARTEC, uh, your different programs. And yeah more generally, you know, the background of Cranfield University and, and, and why you guys are so unique in, in this uh, context of aviation education for both technical and business. So again, thank you very much for your time today. And, uh, That's brilliant. Uh, Miguel, it's been a, a real pleasure to talk to you. Um, yeah. What I, I should do one little advert at the end here. Yeah, uh, go for if it. Anybody, if, if anybody <laughs> listening has uh, sort of any uh, sort of research challenges that they're having uh, and they want some uh, additional expert uh, support, uh, we're available. And, uh, you know, if anybody has interest in any of the courses that we, we uh, offer, uh, please come and give me a shout and I can put you in the direction of the right person to talk to. Um, you can find me very easily at k.mason at cranfield.ac.uk. So uh, please uh, just give me a shout. Um, I'm, I'll try and uh, get back to you quickly as I can. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. That's a, it's a real pleasure, Miguel. Thank you for your Likewise. time. Likewise. Bye. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you are using, or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much, and see you soon. Thank you.